Hi, this is Hanson from Our Keeper's Awakening, a ministry dedicated to the awakening of the saints to know and fulfill our God-given kingdom assignments. This is what Kingdom 101 is all about. We revisit kingdom fundamentals to know Jesus our King, to embrace His kingdom so that we may receive and move on kingdom assignments according to His kingdom ways. Will you join me? Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, as always, we ask that you will be with us to teach us and point us to Jesus. We ask all this in his mighty name. Amen. Let me begin by explaining the title, Don't Act Blur. In Singapore, we have our own brand of English. It's called Singlish or Singapore English, where familiar words can carry its own local meanings. Well, in English, blur can refer to a smear, a smudge, something hazy, indistinct, out of focus, or unclear. In Singlish, blur means slow in understanding, unaware, ignorant, or confused. In fact, this has gained entry even in the Oxford English Dictionary. And therefore, the phrase act blur simply means to play innocent, to pretend to be ignorant, to feign ignorance. And this is usually used to avoid admitting any liability, any taking of responsibility, or making of any commitment. It is easier to plead ignorance and hopefully get off the hook. Well, this is what we see in Matthew 21, 23 to 27. When Jesus was challenged by their confrontation, the religious leaders acted blur. In this teaching, we will see how that is not the right response at all, especially when it comes to acknowledging the authority of Jesus, the Messiah and King. Don't act blur. Let's read Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 to 27. Now when he came into the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. Where was it from? From heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves and saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. From our passage, we see that Jesus returns to the temple. A quick timeline review. On Sunday, he enters Jerusalem. On Monday, there's the fig tree cursing and followed by the temple cleansing. Now on Tuesday, there's the fig tree lesson after the tree withers and followed by this temple confrontation. So this is the day after the temple cleansing. Well, it's not recorded for us if the stalls were all set up again. Was it back to normal, business and trading as usual? Maybe, perhaps for some, but others may be just watching to see if it's safe. Would Jesus overturn the tables again? Well, in any case, there was no need to overturn anything or any table anymore. 
Jesus had already made his point. The warning has been given. We see that Jesus continues his kingdom assignment. He goes on and he teaches. I can tell you what his pet topic is and probably that was what he continued to teach about. Things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And here are some quick points to note. God does not have to nag. You know, he says it once and we are expected to heed his word. Of course, for sure. Sound the wake-up calls. Remind, remind, and remind again. However, be careful not to always preach doom and gloom, judgment, without ever declaring the good news of the kingdom at all. Don't keep overturning wrong tables without setting up proper ones and inviting all to Jesus' tables of kingdom community and fellowship. Preach and teach the kingdom, the full counsel of God. And even so, don't be distracted from your kingdom assignment, especially in the face of non-compliance and also in the face of confrontation. In the temple, Jesus the Christ attracted not just the crowds, but also the council and confrontation. It is safe to assume that a rather large crowd had gathered to listen to Jesus. Otherwise, there would have been no need for the leaders to be concerned for them to confront him. They couldn't just let him get away with what he did the previous day. They had to challenge him and also to discredit him in front of the crowds. The chief priests and the elders of the people gathered with the crowds before Jesus. Now, who were these? The council, presumably representatives of the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin is the Jewish Supreme Court. It's also called the Great Council. And it would consist of 71 rabbis. Why 71? Because in Numbers 11 verse 16, God told Moses, Gather for me 70 men from the elders of Israel. And then they shall stand there with you, Moses. So 70 plus 1, 71. Well, if not the entire Sanhedrin, 71 guys, they're definitely representatives of the highest council in the land. The top-ranking Sadducees, Pharisees, the scribes, the chief priests would have been represented if they were not themselves present there. Also, the captain of the temple. Now, this is the head of the temple police who's responsible to maintain order. Now, his authority was number two to the high priest. Now, these were all the elders of the people. So the point to see and note, this is not a small group. It is important enough to involve all these of significance. It was a power encounter of the highest level. So when Jesus was there with the crowd and the priests and the elders, they were all there. They confronted him. By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Probably there was this spokesperson, right? Pushed up front, say, go confront Jesus. How are you doing these things? By what authority? Now, what are these things? Well, we recounted the recent events. How can you enter Jerusalem in such a manner? How can you receive praise as Messiah and as God? How can you overturn these tables? How can you upset our temple activities? And also, how can you challenge the leaders? 
Now, these things can also refer to the events leading up to the entry as well as the temple saga. How can you have your own disciples drawing these large crowds? How can you teach the kingdom in this way, performing signs and wonders, sort of? How can you confront with all our agents, the Pharisees and the scribes that we sent to check you out? Let's paraphrase this, right? Who do you think you are? Who gave you the right or permission? In other words, who is your boss, your master, your rabbi? Who authorized you? Who authorized you, Jesus? See, the issue was about authority. So let's learn a little bit about this thing called authority. In the Old Testament, the word authority is normally associated with rulers and kings. Malak, to rule, or Malek, king or ruler. In the Greek, is the word akon. Now, only these have the right and the power to speak and act as they did and desired. Now, in the New Testament, the word is exousia. Now, this is normally translated authority or power. Authority is rightful, actual, unimpeded power to act or to possess, to control, to use or to dispose of either something or somebody. This word exousia is to be differentiated from another word called dunamis, translated power also. But that refers to physical power or just an ability. Exousia or authority signifies power that is in some sense lawful. Now, the difference here we see is simply between having power and having the right to exercise that power rightly. As an illustration, let's look at a police officer and a truck. Now, a truck definitely has more power than a police officer, and especially a truck if he's speeding towards that officer. But the police officer has authority, and when he raises his hand, he has that authority and power to stop the truck. If the truck driver refuses to stop, he is then coming against that authority. So power and authority illustrated. I hope you see the difference. Authority also comes from the word author, which we know as an inventor or creator or the originator. The word author comes from the Latin, which means a founder, a master or a leader. So God as creator and author thus has authority over everything and everyone. Let me illustrate. You know, in the past years, ever since founding Archippus Awakening, I've had the privilege to write two books, Say to Archippus and Alignment Check. Now, others can buy the books, they can read, they can quote, post, and discuss the content of the books. However, to preserve copyright, the people would need to have permission to use and to also quote it correctly. Rightly, they should cite the right references and credit the author. And in that, they derive authority from the author, thereby adding weight to their discussions and their posts. But as an author, you can see I have a different level of authority. I have the right to use the quotations as is because it originated from me. And especially in the discussion, 
discussions about the books and the teachings, the various platforms that have been open to us. Oftentimes, people will recognize that authority when I'm present in that room or discussion. They will look to me and they say, oh, the author is here. You know, We can ask him questions and we can seek clarification about what he has written. They recognize the authority of the author because it originated from me. However, my authority clearly is based on a much higher authority, that of the scriptures and the one who authored the scriptures, as well as he who gave this assignment to me, the one from whom the assignment originated. And so my authority, although the author, is only right and in order when I am rightly aligned with Jesus and the ways of his kingdom. Now that we have learned about authority, we can better understand rabbinic authority. There was already an established ordination process. Eminent rabbis would ordain their own disciples. However, this led to some abuse, and soon the Sanhedrin, the council, took over this process, and they had very strict requirements. The Sanhedrin would issue ordination papers, thereby giving authority to such ordained ministers. Well, as experts of the law, their authority came from Moses. Jesus acknowledged that they sit in Moses' seat, Matthew 23, verse 2. And since Moses received the law from God, this authority is ultimately from God. In other words, they are the highest authority in the land. As God's ordained ministers, there is no higher authority. So when they asked Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? They were looking at him saying, where are your ordination papers, Mr. Jesus? Who certified you? Who made you a rabbi? Which Bible or theological school did you graduate from? Who is your chancellor? Who's your dean? You don't seem to have any record of Rabbi Jesus in our papers you know, and in our database. As such, you are not authorized at all to teach or do anything that you have done. They asked Jesus these questions, and later they would ask his disciples the same thing too in Acts chapter 4, verse 7. And when they had set them in their midst, they asked, By what power and by what name have you done this? This is rabbinic authority. They were the highest authority in the land. So when they questioned Jesus about authority, it was totally legitimate. They were perfectly in order. As leaders of the land, guardians of the law, they had the responsibility to determine what was true or not, what was right or not. However, the motive behind the questions was questionable. They were not interested in what Jesus had to say. Their one objective was to trap Jesus. They already knew that Jesus had declared many times that he acted on behalf of God as the son of David, the son of God, even equal to God. They wanted him to say it to them directly, in front of the people, on temple holy grounds. And then they could arrest him for making such a claim for blasphemy and put him to death. And so against all the rabbis, Rabbi Jesus asks his own question in reply to their questions. 
Well, that's how rabbis spied. Matthew 21, 24, Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The Lord acknowledges the legitimacy of their questions. He was not avoiding the question. He was willing to answer. However, knowing their intent, he set a condition for his answer. And in doing so, he regains initiative and catches them at their own game. 21-25 of Matthew, the baptism of John. Where was it from? From heaven or from man? Now, the baptism of John would refer to John's entire ministry, the one that was sent to prepare the way of the Lord. It was a call to repentance, a baptism of repentance for people to turn, to prepare all these, the people of God, for the coming of the King, of the Messiah. As forerunner, John pointed to Jesus, identifying him as the one, as the Messiah. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He must increase and I must decrease. Now many believed and they responded and they considered John as a prophet sent of God. So what do you think, leaders? Is John's ministry from heaven or was it from men? Was it God-ordained, sanctioned, assigned? Or was it just John's own imagination and agenda? Jesus' question caught them all by surprise. It just threw them off. Like, whoa, hang on. It was quite a funny sight, actually, if you imagine. The spokesman probably looked at the lead guy. They glanced at one another, lost looks all around, gestures, and they called a timeout. They had a council meeting right there and then. Now, we don't know how long it took, but it must have taken at least a while as they reasoned among themselves. And this means to discuss, to dialogue, and even to debate. Now, which of the two options? Option A, from heaven, or option B, from men? Now, option A, if we say from heaven, then they would be affirming John's ministry, which meant agreeing that Jesus was the Messiah, the one to come. If so, why did they not believe? And if they believed, then their questions were totally unnecessary. Now, if they believed, then everyone else then would believe in Jesus. They stood to lose their position, their credibility, and their authority. Plus, looked like fools in front of the crowds also. Now, remember, right? John called out the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. You brood of vipers who want you to flee from the wrath to come bear fruits worthy of repentance. If they say it's from heaven, they will acknowledge that and they will be saying, yep, we agree, we are hypocrites. So option A, no go. Option B, if we say it's from men, well, many already consider John as prophet of God. If they said from men, then everyone would question their authority as religious leaders of the nation. They couldn't risk appearing clueless or faithless or indifferent where God's prophetic timeline was concerned. They were supposed to know these things. Like when Herod called for them years ago, they were able to refer to scriptures that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, and yet they were not interested to follow the Magi's to see if prophecy was actually being fulfilled. But here was the real reason. 
they feared the multitude. They were afraid of offending and losing people, their church members. So option B was not a great option either. They were in the catch-22. Both options were non-options for them. You see, they asked about authority without the desire of knowing the real answer. And in trying to trap Jesus through rabbinic-type questioning, they ended up being trapped by the rabbi of rabbis. They couldn't answer because of their own unbelief and the fear of man. They had to protect their own turf and their own authority. So they can't go option A. We can't go option B. I know. Let's combine both, right? Option A, B. Let's act blur. And so they answered Jesus and said, we do not know. I, I, I don't know. Just say, we do not know. How convenient. Really? You don't know? Oh, they simply didn't want to acknowledge Jesus' authority. Here we see that kingdom authority has already been clearly demonstrated by Jesus. And yet the leaders pleaded and feigned ignorance. They acted blur. They refused to commit. They refused to accept anything. And they did not want to repeat or mention that right answer. When all authority has been so clearly demonstrated by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Look at the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew has always had a Christological intent to show forth Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah. And if so, then he possesses all authority. The authority of scriptures in Matthew, more than 60 references of Old Testament scriptures, nine times it is written, and that's authority. Twelve times it might be fulfilled, that's accuracy. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus taught with authority the people will amaze, astonish, not like anyone else. Jesus said, you heard that it was said of those of old, but I say to you, he's the author. He had all authority to provide the right interpretation of the law. He didn't have to refer to any other rabbi. He didn't have to quote or cite and provide any footnotes. Jesus has authority. Matthew chapter 8, Jesus had authority over nature and creation, right? He rebuked the winds and there was great calm. And the disciples saw it and they asked, who is this guy? Matthew 9, Jesus had authority to forgive sins. Only God could forgive sins. And that's why the scribes were so upset when Jesus said, I forgive your sins. Matthew 10, Jesus had authority over both physical and spiritual realms. He could heal the sick and he could cast out demons. Matthew chapter 20, Jesus then teaches and explains kingdom authority, not as the rulers of the Gentiles who lord it over people, but it's unlike that of the world, kingdom authority. It's demonstrated through humility and servanthood. So clearly, Matthew is declaring so clearly that people would have received and experienced this authority. So clearly, the leaders themselves also would have seen and noted. And so because the leaders acted blur, Jesus then said to them, Neither will I tell you what authority do I do these things. In Singlish, since you act blur, I also don't tell you. 
Jesus didn't have to answer their questions because they already knew the answer. It was so obvious where Jesus' authority was from. Jesus was and is the authority. He's the one greater than the temple. They were, however, unwilling to accept the answer. They did not want to accept Jesus' authority. But our Lord didn't just end there. Instead of answering directly, he now answers by way of three parables to come. The two sons, the wicked vine dresses, and the wedding feast. And he will demonstrate through these the rejection of instruction, the rejection of inspection, the rejection of invitation. These parables would warn against the consequences of rejecting God's authority, Jesus' authority. It doesn't end there. Matthew 22, 15 onwards, they continue to question Jesus' authority, but they just couldn't get through. Because in 22, 46 of Matthew, no one is able to answer him a word. Nor from that day did anyone dare question him anymore. And this leads to Jesus' final words for the leaders in Matthew chapter 23. Woe to you! Woe to you! Woe to you! And this would be the final straw. The leaders, to protect their own authority, would then plot to take Jesus by trickery and to kill him. You see, if you want to continue to act blur, then this is the end of discussion. Because at the end of this, and after all these attempts, and still acting blur, not willing to acknowledge, you notice there's no more mention of authority until the end of Matthew when Jesus in Matthew 28 gives and delegates all authority to his disciples. Here's the main point. Don't act blur. Now, you may think it's just for the religious leaders, but it can happen to us too. It's very clear that Jesus is God and King with all authority. Now, we may accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, but where his authority is concerned, it is way too easy for us to also act blur, to feign ignorance. Don't act blur, because if you want to ignore, that means to reject. Well, some reasons why we all act blur. Unbelief could be one. We refuse to believe, we don't believe in really his ultimate authority, and so we discard it or we reject it. Or the fear of men. We are afraid of what others may think of us because we should be running our own lives. We want our own authority. Or pride. We don't want to give up ground. We don't want to admit that we are wrong, that Jesus is right, that he has full control over our lives. Or we just want to avoid responsibility. We don't want to be accountable, because once we are responsible, we then have to give account. And so we act blur. We feign ignorance. We pass the buck. To recognize his authority means to submit, and we don't want to submit. To acknowledge Jesus' authority means to respond then with obedience, and we don't want to obey. Acting blur, you see, provides reason or excuse for us to remain status quo. If you are a believer of Jesus, don't act blur. Jesus is king. Huh? What, 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 what does that mean? I, I don't know. Oh, does the Bible say that? Where? I, I didn't know that. Is that so? 
What are the warnings for? Surely that is not for us, right? Kingdom assignments? <laughs> What's that? You mean we have something to do? Every one of us? Really? And, and what is this calling thingy? Eh? It sounds so complicated, so spiritual. Surely it's not, not for me, right? It's okay to keep sinning, isn't it? I mean, God understands. Isn't there grace? Friends, don't act blur. The Lord is very clear with all these. The Lord has all authority. The question is, will we submit to Him? Friends, if you're listening to this and you're not a believer of Jesus yet, don't act blur. God's handiwork is evident throughout all creation to everyone. God's love has been demonstrated through the sending of Jesus, His Son, to die for your sins, offering you salvation and eternal life. Acting blood doesn't excuse you from your sin and from judgment and the wrath of God. Don't act blur. There is no middle ground. Put your faith in Jesus. Receive new life in and through Him today. As we close, I'm reminded of another confrontation in Israel's history. In 1 Kings 18.21, on top of Mount Carmel, Elijah the prophet challenged God's people with these words, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord your God is God, follow Him. But if Baal, follow Him. But the people answered him not a word. They acted blur. It's always easier to sit on the fence, to feign ignorance, to act blur, thinking and hoping that we can get away with it. However, no one can claim ignorance. No one can give any excuse. No one can act blur. God's word is clear and precise. He sees all and knows all. We are all under the authority of Jesus and his kingdom. How we live will determine the final outcome when he comes to judge everyone. Jesus is the ultimate authority as King and Messiah. Through faith and the fear of the Lord, submit to His kingdom authority in every area of our lives. Don't act blur. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word and thank You for the reminders over and over again. Forgive us, Lord, where we have chosen to ignore and in that we have rejected Your authority. Forgive us, O oh Lord, where we have acted blur. Lord, open our eyes, touch our hearts, Lord, so that we will respond in the right way and to submit to you all authority and to obey that also. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining me for another Kingdom 101 teaching. For past teachings, visit our website, kingdom101.archipusawakening.org. Until the next time, this is Hanson signing off. Stay awakened, aligned, and assigned. God bless you.